liability invested. There is no point in uh, being over-invested in real estate, which is a contingent liability. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. Yes, we're going to dig into the idea that we want to be perfectly invested in real estate. We don't want to overinvest and stretch ourselves, and we don't want to underinvest and walk through life oblivious to the fact that we actually have nothing to show for it when it comes to the way we financially live. Today, how do you get in debt and actually be happy about it? I'm going to show you how to build a portfolio. And of course, we're going to discuss some of the pitfalls and challenges of going about and doing that. Of course, if it's your first time tuning into the show, welcome aboard. Play the program in double speed. Get your life back. It's important. Don't waste your time. You can play me in double speed. I don't sound too much like a chipmunk. And of course, welcome back all you crazy urban property investors. I hope you are enjoying the content this year. There's been a few mistakes, hasn't there? Uh, One episode never even basically worked. I think we got about 16 or 17 minutes in and it failed. So I hope you uh, were able to re-download that episode. And of course, uh, I think on a couple of podcasts, I've been coughing and spluttering. So we never know if the show is going to be good. That's the beauty of the show. It could be terrible. Uh, I don't know. I feel terrible right now. I've had a beer and a pizza. So I don't even know if that's legal. Can you do a podcast on a beer and a pizza? Uh, Perhaps that is breaking all the rules of podcasting, but... uh, I feel like a little fat sausage right now, having been down to the pizza shop. But I tell you, not a bad pizza whatsoever. Hey, you guys don't want to hear about my world. We want to hear about the real estate world. And of course, the real estate world is just a vehicle to get to the end game. And of course, the end game is financial freedom. The challenge, of course, is it is hard work to get to financial freedom. And of course, there are stages to reaching financial freedom or even a stage above that, a stage of absolute abundance. So I think to understand today's show, it probably is worth setting the scene when it comes to how we go through our financial life. You know, the first few years of my financial life, I was economically broke. I worked out how to climb a ladder to financial freedom and abundance. So when we start out on our journey of financial literacy, we generally start being dependent. We're dependent upon our parents, perhaps our friends. Even when we generally first get into property or housing, it's usually as a roommate, we're dependent upon the other roommate to actually pay the rent. So we don't want to live our life in dependence. And I certainly know many people still to that till this day who are getting older and older as the years go on, who need a roommate to live in the suburb, they choose to live in, they have no assets, they're underinvested. Uh, the next stage of financial Uh, wisdom, if you like, is solvency. This is where you get to keep your head above water. You've probably got a job. You can probably just pay to keep the wolves at bay. And of course, solvency is not a very good place to be. Today in Australia, one in five Australians have less than $1,000 in the bank. They're solvent, But if something was to knock on the door and come and bite them, they would be insolvent. They would go back to dependency. They'd go back a step. Of course, above that is being financial. And of course, banks like to look at financial people. And generally, property investors come from a financial space where the banks 
would look at you for the purpose of a loan. It means in general, you've uh, worked out how to have a job for a period of time, save some money. And of course, you start to look very good on paper. You're financially looking the goods. And of course, from there, really, you have a choice. And a lot of people get to a financial state where they look good on paper and do nothing about it. Others do something about it. And of course, here in Australia, probably the most popular thing to do is to become a property investor or at least buy one property. And of course, we call that acquisition, the point of acquiring assets. And of course, this is where really the game begins to the concept of financial freedom. The assets that typically people buy are family homes Or for a lot of people today, they become renters and also investors, rent investors. For other people, it's about also just acquiring income-producing assets, assets which eventually can create a dividend, a return, and of course put people in a financially secure place, which is the next part of the puzzle. Remember, we started at Dependence. We went to solvency, keeping our head above water. We became financial. We started to buy assets. And then we go to the next stage, which is financial security. Assets that can create a basic level of survival and solvency for us. And of course, for a lot of Australians today, really, this is the maximum level they get to when it comes to their financial state, financial security. They've got the house paid off, but no income-producing assets. They can survive, they're solvent, but they can't thrive. And of course, a lot of it has to do with the next phase of today's conversation, which is about creating passive income from real estate and of course, making sure you do it well. We'll talk about what that looks like. So most Australians will end up financially secure. There's not many destitute Australians floating around. We're very lucky in that uh, aspect. And of course, uh, that whole system, if you like, of getting to financial security is quite interesting because yes, you replace your job and you've got some wealth at the top of the funnel, but you go back to really what it was like when you first got started, basically dependent and in a survival mode every week. And I see this in really even my own family, right? Like they own assets, they're asset rich, but income poor. And really the quality of life is just solvency, keeping your head above water. Uh, You know, like, yeah, in in loved ones' houses that don't even repair things because it's about solvency. Above financial security is the freedom state. And this is where you get to a point where assets replace your yearly wage. Now, if you're really comfortable living off a certain amount of money, uh, really your goal, if you want to play the game of being a portfolio investor, is about getting to that point. So let's say you earn $100,000 per annum, you need to somehow not only earn $100,000 per annum, but get to your point where you no longer work and also keep that $100,000 per annum coming in. And of course, one of the best ways to do that is to buy income producing assets such as real estate. And of course, for some property investors, they get to a point where they go to abundance well beyond financial freedom where they're replacing their yearly wage with income from real estate but actually they own so uh so uh, many or such good assets that really those assets make more than really that person could ever dream of and of course in doing so add more life experiences to that person's uh, economic situation. So dependence to abundance, seven stages, it's a journey. And of course, the odds are stacked against 
all of us to achieve that. Here in Australia, we're not taught at school how to be financially literate. No one teaches you about how to play the tax system. A lot of Australians, of course, do not end up in a wealthy place. According to Credit Suisse in 2021, an older statistic, but a statistic nonetheless, approximately one in 20 of the adult population is a millionaire. One in 20. So if you think about those odds, 20 to 1, that's what you're dealing with here in Australia. Actually, very good odds compared to, obviously, people who come from, you know, much more impoverished communities. And I think, obviously, we're very blessed here in Australia. You know, you can press a button, the air conditioning goes on, you can open the fridge and there's usually something cold to, uh, you know, drink or, or fresh food. So... We're all blessed, let's face it. We're just talking about in a capitalist country, really going for it. So one in 20 end up at millionaire status here in Australia. And most of that one uh, in 20 would do it through the concept of real estate. So why don't the other 19 out of 20 fundamentally become wealthy if a million dollars is considered a decent level of wealth. And today I would argue that is not even close to a decent level of wealth. Why do so many people not end up in this space? Well, of course, a lot of it comes down to the ability to maintain education, to learn things like wealth creation. Of course, many people today obviously have limited resources to to even become a capitalist. If you're going to become a capitalist, you're going to need some capital. And of course, if you're disadvantaged or uh, got no money to begin with, then it's just a hard ladder to climb. But I think with the right financial framework and of course with an adequate amount of savings, if you can go from uh, solvency to financial, from financial, you can uh, get yourself up the ladder, that is for sure. And of course, for a lot of people, they'll sit in dependency, basically dependent upon something, the government giving them a handout, uh, family looking after them, still living at mum's, uh, or just keeping their head above water. A lot of people just remain in that state. Remember, one out of 20 gets to millionaire status here in Australia. And of course, that in itself is, uh, is probably people p- putting people really in a place where there's financial security. But I would argue you need to go further to become even freer and abundant in this country. So there is a paradox when it comes to investing. And today I want to talk to you about building the right portfolio. And of course, there is a paradox to the problem of becoming an investor and living in a financially free or abundant state. And of course, that paradox is borrowing money, debt to income. Obviously, prior to the Royal Commission, borrowing money was a lot easier. In fact, Uh, It's fair to say a large part of my portfolio, I got myself up to 21 properties, was off loose lending. Uh, There's no way I should have been lent the money I was lent to uh, buy the assets I could, but I was. And that was the way of the world back then. It was loose. And really, the idea of being a capitalist is taking advantage of opportunities which are out there. Today, though, those opportunities are diminishing because of the idea of responsible lending and the concept known as debt-to-income or debt-to-income ratio, DTI. And of course, this is a measurement of how much a person's income is used to fundamentally control debt, including things like mortgages. So here in Australia, one of the interesting paradoxes is typically 
the bank will lend you anywhere from six to eight times your income. Uh, obviously, that buffers around based on you know your deposit, your credit history, uh, the different banks, and so forth. But I'm just speaking generally here today. So the bank will look at you and go, well, you earn $100,000. Uh, we will lend you six to eight times your income profile. You can go and borrow $800,000 worth of real estate. Of course, if you've got rent coming in from real estate, they'll take that into consideration. And of course, if you've got existing debt, they'll also take that into consideration. The paradox, of course, is that Australia's unaffordable measurement is that Australia trades at eight times incomes when it comes to its real estate value. So in other words, the bank may only lend you seven times your income, but real estate costs eight times your income. So there's this kind of imbalance, if you like. And of course, for a lot of people, that means they've got to constantly look and find the next opportunity, the next place to invest, the next place to buy, because as better areas get absorbed, they reach a, uh, a zone where most people can't buy into those areas. When we look around Australia and the household unaffordability measurement, the price to income ratio, different places trade differently. Perth, seven times income. Brisbane, seven times income. So for people in those cities, they can still go to the bank and borrow money and generally buy something they want, but even that is running out now. Adelaide, eight times incomes. According to McCrindle, Sydney is 15 times income. So if you can borrow eight times your income off the bank in Sydney, you're, uh, well, you're halfway there because Sydney trades at 15 times income. So it's an interesting paradigm because, of course, inside of cities, there are places where you can still buy at the level of what you can uh, borrow. And of course, there are product types which you can buy at the level of what you can borrow. So it is a game. And again, the reason I allude to this is the odds are stacked against you to put a portfolio together which is going to replace your income. The paradox is quite strange because if debt to income ratio is a measurement of what you can borrow and what you can borrow, or what debt you take on that ends up being the income you create for yourself, then we need to think about real estate very seriously and how that how we build a portfolio. So we got debt to income ratio, then we've got obviously the city's debt to income ratio, like Sydney. Then we've got APRA's debt to income ratio. And then we've got, obviously, the bank's debt-to-income ratio. And, of course, the big paradox is how much debt you need to get into to end up creating financial freedom. How much will you need to borrow to actually retire? And so this is where Rule 20 comes in. Rule 20 is a really critical rule inside of the idea of building wealth. Rule 20 is just basically the concept that you need 20 times your income in assets producing income to replace, guess what, your income. So if you uh, earn $100,000 per annum, which is a great amount of money, you're going to need 20 times that in assets to produce $100,000 worth of income. So of course, 100000 times 20 equals $2 million in real estate, which would spit out $100,000 in income. That's based on a 5% return. And of course, this is all very possible inside of the real estate marketplace, but the paradox is 
how much can you actually borrow and how you're going to play the game. Remember, if you add the rent of a rental property, it's going to improve your servicing. If you remove certain debts from your world, it's going to improve your servicing. Uh, If you, for example, live in a family home and there's no income being produced in that family home, renting that family home out and renting a lifestyle yourself is going to improve your servicing. The challenge with reaching a financially free or abundant state is, of course, the challenge of what are you going to give up usually or what are the trade-offs of what you're prepared to to, uh, give up on to reach financial freedom. Most people do not want to change their lifestyle. and Of course, that's fundamentally why they don't end up the one in 20 that ends up very wealthy in this country. So rule 20 is a big conversation. And of course, again, like if you think about what you can borrow, what the cost of a property is, and of course, uh, how much you're going to need to borrow to get there, it's going to mean you're going to have to go through some financial wizardry as well as be very diligent with how you do this thing called income replacement. Now, this is where we really get to the conversation around the states of investment. I don't mean states as in Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales. I mean the ability to put yourself in an acquisition state and get it right. One of the biggest drivers of being successful to reach your financial goal is making sure that the assets you buy are actually the right assets. So there are four states of investment. You can be underinvested, you can be liability invested, you can be overinvested, and you can be perfectly invested. Perfectly invested matches your time horizon, your goals, and rule 20. It is designed to say, how much income do you want in retirement? And you're on track or off track to achieve that. Perfectly invested. Uh, In the context of $100,000 equals $2 million worth of real estate, spitting out $100,000, that may mean you've got two properties that are a million dollars each. However, again, as I alluded to, the paradox is what can we borrow? How do we play this game? How do we manage the moving parts? So I wanted to talk about the different levels of understanding. Are we underinvested? Are we invested full of liabilities? Or are we actually even overinvested and taking on too much risk? How do we uh, put ourselves in a position where we are in debt for millions and happy about it, which is actually the name of a book I once wrote, so that you are perfectly invested? So what is perfectly invested? Well, I think it comes down to a few quadrants. You are diversified in real estate types and places and have assets outside of real estate. You have assets, as I alluded to, across a range of different asset classes. And of course, your goal or the wealth or the money that you want per annum is in line with what you can achieve and of course, your goals. So perfectly invested in my book is also about making sure you build a portfolio and bite off a little bit more than you can chew. And I believe you should do that because I've certainly been in situations where I've had to use investments to fund the here and now. And of course, we all get in challenges throughout our journey economically and I think if you've got an extra asset that you can offload maybe make a quick profit on 
profits are better than wages and it can get you out of a pickle. I was in a pickle back in 2016. I couldn't pay myself anything. I really wasn't performing well inside my business. Uh, I couldn't take home a wage. And uh, I would work the whole year without a salary. Obviously, that's not a good situation to be in. I was able to pull a lever, sell an asset. That asset allowed me to uh, restore my normal wage by virtue of a profit. I took a profit from some real estate. So again, like being perfectly invested in my viewpoint is also about building a bit of a moat. If you think about a castle, it's obviously a beautiful object. Your wealth is your castle. You may just need a little bit of an economic moat to defend the main pillars of that castle. So being perfectly invested is actually shooting for your number. We've always got to start with the end game in mind when it comes to the concept of buying real estate for the purposes of retiring using real estate. If your number is $100,000 passive income, that may mean you need to buy well over $2 million worth of real estate to achieve that number. How are we going to do it is always the big question. And it's uh, a question which I think needs to be broken down in the state that you can get into when it comes to being an investor. You can be over-invested, under-invested, liability-invested, or perfectly invested. So let's talk about being over-invested. Now, as I alluded to, I'm all for biting off more than you can chew and chewing like mad, but there is a point where you put yourself uh, perhaps in a place where you are over-invested and therefore putting yourself in a much riskier position. So some of the concepts around being over-invested could be you're over-invested in an asset type. You could be in real estate over-invested in a typology. Now, think about one of the biggest challenges property investors face is avoiding things like land tax when they go into retirement. And of course, if you've got too many properties, perhaps in the one state, or you've got too many properties which are full of land content, it is very probable that you will make it harder for yourself to actually end up financially free because you're over-invested in certain sections of the actual real estate marketplace. So by way of example, you know, I've got a client, it's got five houses in Sydney, which is amazing, like fantastic. But of course, the land tax bill on that has eradicated their ability to actually create passive income and go into retirement. So in its expensive problem, because to un get out of that situation, you're going to have to sell assets and start again. And of course, if you find yourself in an over-invested situation, it's, it's not great because can you even borrow money if you sell an asset? Will you be able to service again? So it's really important when you are aiming for this financial goal that you invest well, that you think through the idea of building this portfolio. So you can be over-investing in locations. I see this all the time. Uh, I've got clients, for example, they did nothing but invest in Western Australia. I told them, you should really diversify out of Western Australia because if Western Australia goes to sleep, uh, so, do, so does your wealth creation journey. Would it not be better to have a property in Brisbane, for example? Didn't do it. Of course, Brisbane done really, really well of recent times. Uh, it's not to say Perth won't do well in the future, but the point is by having a diversified portfolio around different places, you not only avoid land tax usually, 
you also get yourself in a position where you've got diversified growth, uh, which can obviously make sure that you're uh, very much getting growth when one market's going up, uh, perhaps the another market's going down, but you've still got growth occurring because you're diversified in different marketplaces. Location is also a very important part of the puzzle. When you go into your retirement place, you do not necessarily want to have real estate in volatile marketplaces. It may feel like a good idea when you're buying because it's cheap, but when you're retiring, I can assure you, you want good real estate where there's good tenants paying good amount of rent. It's the concept of making sure you're not over-invested in the wrong areas. So you can also be over-invested in real estate assets which don't have a great dividend. They don't necessarily rent that well. They don't actually see too much rental growth. They are assets which are underperforming rental properties. And of course, uh, some of the best properties in the marketplace have the worst return. And of course, Again, for a lot of property investors, buying a property with the worst return, even though it's a really good capital growth property, may actually burn so much money in your back pocket that you're over-invested because all of a sudden you're crippled with cash flow loss. And so it is a fine line between choosing a beautiful capital growth property, but also having something where the rent supports you on this 20, 25, sometimes 30-year journey to go from being solvent, financial, to abundance or freedom. And of course, uh, being over-invested and crippled with debt is not a fun experience. And I can assure you, I have over-invested before. I've put myself in a position where really, frankly, I owned way too many properties and that was by virtue of uh, just loose lending conditions. I went for it. And uh, in some respects, I was crippled with debt. And fortunately for me, I decided, well, I should make a move here and actually undo some things that I've done. And uh, it was an expensive mistake. Like, uh, some properties I owned, I sold, I never made a profit. I just paid uh, ingoings and outgoings to sell them. Other properties I used to lower my debt on the properties I owned by selling them and uh, put myself in a lower LVR position. So, of course, you can be overinvested when you go into negative equity. And, of course, this happens if the market slides when you first buy and really what it means is you now cannot sell the property because you owe more than what your debt is really to the bank. In other words, I probably explained that uh, poorly. In other words, I don't know, you bought, buy a property for, you borrow $500,000, but uh, today you can only sell the property for $450,000. You will recoup four fifty, but to pay the bank off, you're going to need another fifty. So again, like you want to make sure the assets and location and typology is all going to work because you do not want to be over-invested in particular in illiquid real estate. Illiquid real estate is real estate that's hard to sell, that is not uh, real estate which whereby uh, the market is is constant and buoyant. And this is generally why I stick in stick to you know the top ten places, cities in Australia, because again, like obviously of recent times, you know people have moved to small towns and that's all been great when money was cheap, but now money's expensive, is anyone actually jumping into those small areas to buy real estate now the prices have uh, have jumped up? Is there actually someone to sell to? 
And I've seen this time in and time out. You don't want to be over-invested in places where you can't sell your asset. Obviously, if you put yourself in an over-invested place, you can create a bit of stress in your world. And more importantly, uh, you can also be misaligned with your target. You can miss the target, which of course is for a lot of people rule 20. And of course, if you're over-invested in the wrong assets and you're misaligned for rule 20 and you're going to end up in a place where you're going to pay too much tax uh, or you've got assets in subpar locations, it's simply going to mean that you may need to sell and rebuy again. And of course, this is problematic because if you're going to do that, you're very reliant upon the ability to continue to borrow money. And as we know, the older we get, uh, the more debt we have, sometimes the less ability we have to borrow money. So I guess there is the conversation, you know, how much debt is too much debt and, you know, how much debt can you go for? Well, you know, obviously, you know, there's the the, the concept of what is it, collars, belts, socks. So like, do you want a little bit of debt in your life? You may just be underinvested. If you've got too much debt, debt to the eyeballs, you're probably overinvested. Somewhere in the middle is not a bad place to end up. But of course, again, to get to rule 20, you may need to maneuver and or plan to get there using other elements, not just debt. So if you think about debt to income ratio or DTI, it's really your... Uh, your ability to borrow money and basically take on debt and obviously use that debt to buy assets that end up flushing out an income. So I think one of the cool principles you can use these days is the principle of less properties, more rent, to get you where you need to go. Now, again, if you're over-invested in assets that won't produce income, you may just be taking on too much debt and fundamentally not receiving the amount of income that will match up to your Rule 20. But if you think about the rental market, there is a lot of broke people at the bottom of the rental market. And I've said this really you can go back to, I don't know, podcast seven, uh, that there are there's the rental market where people are half a week away from being broke. You put the rent up 10 bucks on them, it's like the end of the world. Then you've got the polar opposite at the other side of the rental market, the top end of the rental market can pay big rent. And of course, when it comes to rent, really there is the 30% of income rule. So generally... Uh, let's say, you know, household income is $100,000, they can pay $33,000 in rent being 30% of $100,000 or thereabouts. So uh, that's the 30% rule. And of course, at the bottom end of the market, people struggle to spend 30% of their income on rent. However, at the top end of the market, there's really no limit to the percentage of income, someone who earns $175,000, a week in rent. In fact, you could take 50% of their income, they can still have a very good life and you can extract just more percentage of their actual income in rent. And of course, again, for that market to be prepared to pay that rent, generally you have to offer them not only a good property but a good location and a good lifestyle. And this is where quite often tracking affluence or where affluence is going, you can put yourself in a position 
where you're going to get better rent increases. Now, again, like if I gave you an example of a property, um, and for easy maths, I'm going to say this property is worth $1 million. Uh, It's a property I own. It's a townhome. And really, prior to uh, the recent maneuvers in rent, it was renting for $46,000 per annum. Now, let's just say my rule 20 was I want to basically get as close as I can to $100,000 in uh, in income in retirement. Hopefully, you guys are still with me here, by the way. I've had the pizza. I'm feeling bloated. I've had the beer. I don't even know if you can do a podcast after having one beer. It could be illegal. Uh, but hey, look, let's go through this classic example, right? So... Let's call it a million dollars that the property is worth. Let's say that I need to make $100,000 passive income in retirement. Obviously, I've just got to work out how to get $2 million worth of real estate that spits out near on $100,000 in income. So that's one principle to do this, right? So my property, my townhome spits out $46,800 in rent, but now... Because I have affluent tenants and now there is a rental squeeze. The rent's gone up from basically uh, $900 odd to $1,250. It's now gone to $65,000 per annum. All of a sudden you can see I've owned still the same million dollars, but I'm much closer to my target of $100,000. Now, prior to the rent increase, I would need to borrow another million dollars to buy something similar to, and I would put 46800 plus 46800 and I would be close enough to that $100,000 mass uh, uh, passive income in retirement. Now the property rents for $1,250 per week though and it's $65,000. I only need 1.5 of those properties or another $500,000 in debt to reach rule 20. Does that kind of make sense? That was probably the most convoluted example I've ever given on the Urban Property Investor podcast. But the conversation just works on the principle, less properties, more rent. Now, quite often, a lot of people get this wrong with an overinvest in B, D grade, not even B grade, D grade assets where the property's so cheap, the rent looks good, but the rent really never goes up because cheap properties attract, you know, obviously tenants who are half a week away from being broke. So the polar opposite happens the other end of the spectrum. And again, obviously it takes a little bit of work to own the assets, the better assets in the market. But there's still good buys around Australia, really from $650,000. So obviously, the concept which I'm trying to show you today is sometimes it's not about actually buying more assets. It's about buying the right assets that have the best profile for future rental movement. And of course, this allows you to make sure you put yourself in a position to reach your rule 20. So for a lot of people, they can't reach rule 20 using future income from the rental market because the rental market is kind of fixed, really won't move a hell of a lot during their period of holding that asset. So really, they put themselves in an overinvested state because they're chasing revenue for retirement when really, if they just went back to better asset allocation, they wouldn't need so many properties and so much risk. Hopefully, that is kind of making sense. So overinvested in a limited future rental capacity is a big conversation. It really does mean you take on more risk and it means you eventually uh, usually have basically a longer time horizon because you have to buy more assets. One of the best ways around that is just to think through 
how you're going to buy real estate without without one over investing in assets, two uh, over investing in really dud liability assets, which we'll talk about next. Three, making sure you're not over invested in dud locations where you could never put the rent up in such a uh, way, and of course making sure you're not over-invested in really illiquid, strange places. This is this is the big crux of the conversation. Today, there are some undervalued rental markets right now that I see in the rental marketplace or in the property marketplace, if you like. I look at their uh, amount of income in those areas, and I can see right now that they're there's a long way for many marketplaces to grow in rental return. And of course, if I can find a property which is going to get very good capital growth in a very good lifestyle area, but has an under-rented rental market, I know that the future of that rental market is going to accelerate me to rule 20 and really if anything, is going to lower my risk profile as an investor or for the clients I look after. It's the concept here. So obviously, you can also be liability invested, the time bomb effect. And I've spoken about this many times. uh, I'll speak about it again. Like you do not want to own time bombs, taking them to your financial retirement zone. Obviously, it's all fun and games while you're young and have a job. When you're old and you're facing the abyss of not working and you need income coming in to replace your income, you don't want real estate, which is a time bomb. The time bomb effect can be in neighborhoods. Some neighborhoods are just being run into the ground. And again, like the neighborhoods are getting so bad that real estate is going backwards, the rental viability of that real estate is going backwards. It is just places you want to steer clear of. Uh, There are a lot of social problems out in society. And with the split of the middle class, you will see more and more places that emerge as undesirable than you will necessarily places that actually emerge as desirable. So people, particularly you can see it now, now you live in more of an inflationary environment, people are struggling to keep up with the cost of living. The neighborhood that that affects is generally people who are on the lowest wages. And of course, what you get is this influence of uh, the neighborhood going down in value. And of course, why would that be a retirement strategy? I've never seen that work. There's no evidence to say that has ever worked. I don't believe it works. If you've got properties in neighborhoods which are fundamentally going backwards, that's not going to work out for you. So again, like a lot of property investors just don't have the right cards. Now think about playing Monopoly. If you've got the wrong neighborhood in Monopoly, Uh, you're not going to win Monopoly. It's the way it works. So if you've got, uh, you know, the basically worst Monopoly card, uh, it's very difficult to win that game. And of course, old Kent Road ain't going to work. So don't hold old Kent Road because you're going to take a liability around the Monopoly board. The time bomb is also properties which are just, let's face it, past their use-by date, going to be a cost a lot to fix up. Probably you'd have to bulldoze them and start again. And of course, that in itself is a $500,000 exercise. Liability invested. There is no point in uh, being over-invested in real estate, which is a contingent liability. And again, this is all coming back to rule 20. Like, what is your number and how are you going to build your uh, portfolio around the monopoly board to get where you need to go. And of course, um, you know, being liability invested is is also having assets where you just, you know, you struggle from a debt management point of view to, to even pay off the debt. 
and you put yourself in a position where you just basically can't actually use the asset in retirement. You've got no strategy. Now, generally, there's two strategies when it comes to debt reduction for uh, property investors. One is you basically buy two properties, you use the growth of one property to pay off the other property and you hope that property spits out rule 20. That could be four properties paying off two, hoping that two spits out rule 20. In other words, you use debt to create growth. Growth then pays off debt. It's generally one way to do it. The other way to do it, of course, is use things like offsets and just diminish your loan amount by doing smart extra payments, paying off the property uh, in fast periods of time. In fact, you can even use some of the rent that you may have on one property to pay off another property. So the point of being liability invested or over-invested is that you're actually, your time horizon's all out of kilter. You're not going to mathematically do it in time to mirror up to your retirement plan. And of course, uh, this is where a good growth property as well is one of the best ways to pay off debt. So again, if you're invested in assets which are fundamentally growthless, then it is a liability, a contingent liability, because it may not spit out what you're hoping for. So remember, this is about balance. We want really good growth assets, but here's the kicker. We want really good tenant profiles because they're the ones that are going to allow us to actually have less debt by virtue of their income profile producing more rent. So it's just the way it works. So don't be liability invested. That's madness. No one's made, uh, no one's ever won Monopoly on Old Kent Road. You don't want tenants that are on, you know, specific performance plans because they've been to the tribunal or damage your property or you want don't want real estate in areas suffering the neighborhood effect or properties which are just going to be capital intensive to run which are full of maintenance issues which you constantly need to uh, plug together nor do you want properties that are going to be affected by natural disasters and climate change and of course again we've had a deep look at that last year with things like many many parts of Lismore and so forth just no longer exist so no liabilities we don't want to overinvest in liabilities and this again comes back to the conversation it's easy actually to buy real estate you just once you're financial, remember the seven states of the concept of being financial, like you go from dependence, solvency to financial, but then you've got to acquire the right assets to reach financial security and from financial security reach rule 20, which is freedom, which is assets that replace your yearly wage. So what happens to a lot of people and why basically – no doubt Credit Suisse in their 2021 report reported one in 20 Australians are millionaires because most property investors and most people inside the investment community end up being over-invested in the wrong type of real estate in the wrong place. That's how it works. And of course, at the polar opposite of being over-invested and liability-invested is being under-invested. And again, like we live in a capitalist country, you need to get capital into the market and, of course, get going. And if you need to team up with the government, do that. If you need a first homeowner grant, take the money. Take the capital and invest the capital. Your buying power is your financial freedom.
So use it. Use it all. Use more than you can possibly uh, even think of. Uh, if you can scrape together better buying power, you're usually going to get a better asset. So this is critical to the game. And too many Australians remain really underinvested. Uh, you know, there are just so many reasons why, but typically it's a lack of knowledge, it's a fear of losing money, it's worrying about short-term financial things. I've got to, you know, save money for the holiday. Uh, the holiday ain't getting you to financial freedom. You're, uh, you know, obviously there is a lack of people with capital in the market. You've got to work out how to do that. And too many people just quite frank, frankly procrastinate. But being underinvested, which basically means you do not have enough assets to get to rule 20, you won't be replacing your income, fundamentally me is quite a dangerous position to be in. Because when you think about it, being underinvested means that you're probably not keeping up with the rat race and of course, keeping up with inflation. Being underinvested really makes it difficult to reach your financial goals. Like you might have a goal, but if you don't have the mathematical equation to satisfy that goal, then you don't actually have, uh, you won't reach that goal. Um, and really what I've seen happen for people underinvested, and particularly those people underinvested as they get older and older and older, they really start to speculate. They start to get really weird with what they get up to. And again, like it's because they've compounded risk and created more risk and fallen further and further and further behind. That basically what happens is they ended up they end up getting into their much uh, older years, into their forties and fifties, and start really speculating. They start just hoping. And I see it also on things like Facebook with clickbait. You know, you'll see, you know, find out the top uh, hot market where you're guaranteed to make a couple of hundred thousand dollars and everyone's clicking on it because really uh, what's happened is they're so underinvested that they're now ready to speculate and just try and catch up. And again, uh, you know, really what that's demonstrating is really a lack of financial framework from that those particular people. So being underinvested is as dangerous as being overinvested because you start to lack options, you start to speculate, you've got to find things that grow faster to catch up. Uh, you have no moat. You can't chop off an asset if something goes wrong that year. And of course, when something goes wrong financially for people, and it happens to all of us, we actually go backwards from a productivity point of view. If you lose your job, if you get made redundant, sometimes it's hard to go and find a job equal that pays more. Uh, sometimes you go backwards in life. Again, where owning an extra piece and being perfectly invested works, it allows you to have your moat. You may be able to sell a property and put yourself in a position where you financially improve, not go backwards. So again, like we all started dependence. We all have been through solvency, keeping our head above water. Many people end up in a financial place where they can strike and become property investors when you get to that place, the next point, acquisitions, is critical because you can overinvest in the wrong stuff. You can remain underinvested and procrastinate uh, by not actually acquiring the right answer, right assets. And of course, from acquisition to getting to financial security, whereby you've got enough assets to create a basic level of survival yourself for yourself uh, from a uh, productivity point of view a lot of Australians get to but not a lot of Australians get to a place where their assets replace their yearly wage nor abundance where their assets make 
them more than they've ever dreamed of when it comes to their retirement or financial life goals. So again, folks, like uh, hopefully today gave you a bit of insight in the work that it's going to for you to do. And obviously the puzzle you've got to solve to actually end up financially free. Probably the takeaway from today's show, in my view, better tenants equals less debt. Better tenants equals less debt. And that may actually help you borrow less money because the odds are stacked against you because of the debt to income ratio or servicing debt. Anyway, I hope that helped. I'll catch you on the next episode as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.